Amen. Well, hey, as you give, again, um, as you're giving, maybe giving is something that is new to you or new for you, um, but it is August 19th, okay? So we are like two-thirds of the way, unofficially, through summer. And as your pastor, I've got to bring up something that's a little bit awkward, maybe even a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe you're like, I didn't come to church for awkward and uncomfortable, uh, but I got to bring this up, and I've got to ask you a real simple question. How are your New Year's resolutions going? I'm just curious. And you laugh, maybe because this statistic applies to you. Did you know that only 8% of people who set a New Year's resolution follow through a whole year on that resolution? 8%. And I fit into the category of the 92. So I don't feel that bad about you laughing with me because I fit in that category. I had some things I wanted to accomplish that Come February 1st, I was like, yeah, it's not that important. I can figure out something else. Like, we'll do another plan. Um, what's also funny is that in our culture, culture itself, follow-through is maybe not the most important of values. You may know this in your own business or your own family or your own marriage. Um, even when it comes to money, uh, about 59% of Americans consider themselves to be more saving-friendly than spending-friendly. 59%, so almost 60%. And this is directly juxtaposed by the fact that the credit card debt amount in America has amounted to $1 trillion. Clearly, something is off in the 60% who like to be savers uh, because we have credit cards and they rack up many, many mountains of debt. How many of you would say, I like to eat healthy, I'm a healthy eater, I'm kind of conscious about that? Yeah, you're not alone. I mean, the majority of Americans, when polled and asked and surveyed, like, do you eat healthy? They're like, of course, like, why wouldn't I eat healthy? And uh, around 80% of us, though, don't get the recommended amount of fruit and vegetables. I don't know how those work together. Like, all those statistics seem to be against one another, but they all have to do with follow-through, Right? And we know that in our own lives, and maybe you've uh, accomplished something physically, maybe you've done something in your career, or even a financial goal you've set and accomplished, uh, it takes guts to follow through. Like anyone can talk, but not everyone can walk the talk, right? We know that. We've seen that. We've experienced that. But it takes guts to follow through. And what happens when we don't follow through? Well, for us, you probably have experienced this. When I set a goal and I can't accomplish it and then I eventually ditch that goal, there's kind of like a feeling of frustration inside of me. I'm like, oh my goodness, I wish I could have done that. Or maybe even you describe it as anger. You're like, oh my goodness, I, I wish I could follow through. I don't know where I, I broke down. I don't get what happened. And maybe even in your own life, there's some real changes you've wanted to make. And yet you try and try and there's a lack of follow through or you don't have the guts or the, or, the, or the power behind you to actually fulfill that goal. Maybe you're one of those 92% who set a resolution that was a good thing, but it takes guts to follow that through all the way to the next year. That takes hard work. And you've probably experienced the feeling in your own life, like I have, of being frustrated by not seeing visible changes in my own life. I mean, I think about fitness being the obvious one, right? You can say, man, I want to lose 10 pounds in this next six months, which is not impossible, but still would take some follow-through and work. Now, you may be one of those people that actually does eat healthy versus just saying that, and so maybe you do. You follow through, and even at the end of that, you're like, okay, I lost the weight. I don't feel any different. 
And you look in the mirror, you're like, I still got all these weird curves that I thought would be gone 10 pounds later. Like, what happened? This is not what I signed up for. Like, there's all these different things you can look out, but you may not see visible change. You, you know this happens spiritually as well. You maybe tried some things or tried to get into the word or pray or even just explore faith itself. And maybe you're here today and that's where you're at. Just saying, I want to check out this Jesus thing, what people are doing on a Sunday. I want to go. I want to figure it out. And yet there's a creeping sense of maybe apathy when there's nothing that really changes. And that happens as Christians as well, right? You may try something, and maybe you're trying to take some steps forward. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm going to get baptized. And after baptism, you go home, and everything is still the same. What do you do when that is occurring? What do you do when that feeling creeps in? And maybe you've asked the question, like I have, will my life ever really change? I mean, I look at people around me who are, who are doing good things, maybe even spiritually, I've got some, some mentors or heroes, and I'm like, oh, it'd be so cool if my life could be like that. But then you turn it back on yourself and ask, will that ever really take place? In the series, Ghost Stories, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, this third person of the Trinity who, when we step into dynamic relationship with him, does change our lives. Does change everything about who we are, reorients our own soul. And you think about that, and I wonder, maybe you've, over the last couple of weeks, asked this very question again, will my life ever change? Or is it really just kind of a ghost story? Is it ever something that's out there? Some people find it, some people don't. And maybe you've lived the same 10 years over and over and over again over the last couple decades, and you're asking that question, will I ever really change? Will the circumstances in my life change? But more than that, will my own character, will who, will who I am, really ever change? Well, luckily, we have a guide to help us answer that question. There's someone who really demonstrated what it means to live a completely surrendered and transformed and changed life. Someone who understands your own weakness, who understands your own temptations, who understands what it's like to walk through this world with the many struggles and challenges that it brings. And his name is Jesus, who the scriptures say has walked in every situation and faced every temptation and point of weakness that you and I experience. And yet his life, we would all probably agree, whether or not we're a person of faith or not, that Jesus lived a very radical and clearly a surrendered life to what God wanted for him. Fully God and fully human, yet had the same resource of the Holy Spirit that you and I encounter today. And he led a group of guys who were just like you and me. Disciples who gave up careers, stepped away even from commitments and family things to say, I'm going to go all in and I'm going to follow this rabbi, this person teaching things that I've never heard, doing miracles I've never seen, casting out demons, I've just never seen any of that. And so for multiple years, these guys gave up their life to follow him. And Jesus says something that if you gave up your career and you gave up your life would be a little frustrating. He says, I'm going to leave. And they're like, great. Like, I gave up my life. I've walked away from a successful career. Some of them successful in agriculture, some successful in business, some successful in fishing industries. And they walk away from all of that to follow him. And years, uh, just a couple years really down the road, he says, Hey, by the way, guys, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to leave. Come on. Like, is that the best you got, Jesus? Like, I gave up everything for you. But he gives him a promise. In week one and two, we explored this promise. 
that I'm going to send someone better. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. It's actually better for you to encounter and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit than it is for me to still be walking this earth with you. And it's puzzling and it's a little bit confusing. And so they're continuing the conversation. And if you have your scriptures, I'm going to invite you to turn there or pull out a device in which you can find it to the book of John, this biographical account of Jesus and all that he did. And in the book of John, verse uh, chapter 14 and verse 22, here's this conversation that we listen in on. Here's something we overhear these disciples and Jesus talking about. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And then Jesus replies, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Now anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I've spoken while still with you, still present. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Now the question that G Judas asked, not Judas Iscariot, who will then betray Jesus just moments later in the book of John. But this question is essentially summed up like this. God, what are you doing <laughs> Maybe you've asked that question before, like, oh my goodness, there's so many situations in my life that I'm walking through right now, but what are you doing, God? Like, I don't sense you. I don't understand where you're going. I don't really get the path that you're trying to kind of lead me down. I don't fully understand what you're doing. And the disciples are asking this question because Jesus says, I'm leaving, but I'm sending an advocate, the Holy Spirit. And they're like, okay, that sounds great. I don't know what that really means for me. And so Judas asked the question that all the disciples and maybe you and I would have thought in that question, God, what are you doing? What is up? And so verse 23, Jesus replies, but again, it doesn't really answer the question. Have you noticed Jesus does this? Someone will ask a question and he'll answer with another statement or question that doesn't really seem to fully answer. I love that about Jesus. And this is what he says in verse 23. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we, talking about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, will come to them and make our home with them. But then he says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, but they belong to the Father who sent me. It's kind of a peculiar response to Judas' question of God, what are you doing? Jesus, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Are you sure you've got the plan right? Are you sure that your future for us is really going to be secure and really going to allow us to have lives that are changed and are obedient. And Jesus responds by saying that anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. But then he says something else. If you see the scriptures and you're a highlighter or a circler or an underliner, underline this word in verse 23, home. Our home. And in the Old Testament, home would have kind of harkened back to this whole idea of the temple. Right, a building. And often, maybe even in our culture, churches are most associated with the buildings in which they meet. But in the very same way, in the Old Testament, the temple really was kind of the house, the home, for where God's presence was, was dwelling and where people went to worship and where people went to encounter God. Maybe even similar to a place like this, in which you know when you walk in here, we really have one aim. 
It's to encounter God. And very similarly, in the Old Testament, the temple was built and constructed so that God had a place to dwell. And the disciples are hearing this. They would have known the Old Testament scriptures. They understand the idea of the temple. And so when they hear home, it's like, oh, okay, like, that's the temple. But he says something peculiar just before he says the word home. He says, my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with who? Them. The disciples, this band of followers in which he's leading and teaching and eventually going to leave. He says, I will make our home with them. We together will dwell within the bodies, the soul of these believers, these disciples. So rather than it being centrally located in a place, it's now located in every single person that follows Jesus and has surrendered their lives and turned from sin to follow him. And it would have been completely revolutionary to them. But in verse 24, he continues on with getting a little bit less clear, actually, with what he's about to say. Because in verse 24, if you have your scriptures, you read it. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Two negative statements. Does not love me, will not obey my teaching. Then he says, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Why does Jesus say this? Why in all of the resources and answers and responses that Jesus could give, does he respond with this? I think he points out something that from the creation of the world, Genesis 1, Adam and Eve, that we maybe have misconstrued or misunderstood. It's that obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. Obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. He points this out because he says the answer to you following me, the answer to will my life ever change is actually wrapped up in your obedience to me, in your willingness to follow through on the teachings that you've heard. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You're only kind of as good with knowledge as what you're willing to obey. If you're not willing to follow through, the knowledge and information you gather really can become meaningless. And similar to the Dead Sea in Israel, can actually become toxic. It can become destructive to us. If we choose to hear Jesus' words yet not obey, he says that there's really no firm evidence for our love for him which is convicting. I don't know about you, but that's convicting to me. As I read Jesus' words, he points out that it, obedience is not just a requirement, but it's actually evidence for us. It's evidence to know. And it's the difference between your dad. Maybe you grew up with a good dad. I had a great dad growing up. But there was one thing he would always say that drove me absolutely nuts. When I would do something wrong, and I would be caught, which is there's a difference as a child, right? I did something wrong, and I was caught all at the same time. He would say this, John, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed. <laughs> yeah, right? Dad, you're like, that's my go-to. Like, when I'm really going for it, I'm pulling out the disappointment card. In the same way, Jesus is not saying, when you don't obey my teaching, I'm mad at you. I'm angry. But remember what he sets this whole thing up how he sets it up. He says, my father will love them. We'll make our home with them. We'll, through the Holy Spirit, develop a relationship together in which I'm not mad when you don't obey. I'm just disappointed because I see your potential. 
I understand the kind of life you could have if it was truly transformed and changed. If you really knew the Holy Spirit, if you really had a relationship that was vibrant and dynamic and living with my Holy Spirit, your life would change. But sometimes it requires our obedience. And the more you do it, the more you realize that obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. But before knowing Jesus, if you tried to think about all the things that a Christian is commanded to do, love your neighbor as yourself, feed the sick, all these kind of things. I mean, just go through the list. Look in Matthew 25, these lists of commands Jesus gives us as Christ's followers. If you thought about that without Jesus and without the power of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, it would be overwhelming to you. It would maybe crush you. You're like, oh my goodness, I read the scriptures. How in the world am I supposed to live this out? But the more you do it and the more you've surrendered to Jesus, you experience that obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. We're blessed in our community here to have some people who have served in the military. I've got family who have served in the armed forces. And there's a clear difference. And you may know the familiar scene of a drill instructor. Right? A drill instructor is going to give you commands, or maybe even in the military in general. There's people that give you commands. Now, it's not based on if you love that guy or not, whether or not you're going to follow through. Am I right? You are going to do what they say. There is a command and a follow through. There's no gap in between. They give a command and you follow through. Now, picture that, contrast that with a guy who's fought on the front lines with one of his best friends. They've gone into battle They've seen some pretty ugly things, and yet they've st stuck together through some of the most difficult of life circumstances. And then that guy dies. Think about the difference between following a command of a drill instructor and following the command of a commander who you love, who you've given your life for, who you laid it down for on a daily basis, protecting the base or protecting the mission that you've been assigned to. There's a big difference qualitatively between doing that command as a drill instructor and doing that command as someone that you love. This is why Jesus says, those who love me will obey my teaching. See, you could obey without loving, but it wouldn't really be evidence of your relationship. It wouldn't really be good evidence of how dynamic your relationship with the Holy Spirit is. And here's the key in verse 26. If you've got your Bibles, you see this. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Teach and remind. In the Gospel of John, really teach and remind are pretty much the same idea. It's this idea that we talked about in week one of two, one and two, of the Holy Spirit being kind of a teacher to us, a comforter an interpreter of what Jesus has said so that we can then live it out and obey. Teach and remind. It's kind of pointing to the core identity of the Holy Spirit. It's to help you obey. It's to help you not just hear teaching, but to obey it and to demonstrate our love for Jesus in this. Now, I asked her right before service, and I'm going to put her on the spot, and I need that microphone, um, which I forgot, which is my bad. Thank you, Lindsay. You rock. I'm going to call my, my friend Brandy up to the platform real quick, and uh, you have to put your hands together because she's not really sure what she's supposed to do yet. So I will turn this on. Okay. So just as a way of illustrating this, I'm going to give her a piece of paper, and I want her to read a phrase. Now, here's the catch. 
She's going to read the phrase, but she probably, I'm assuming, hopefully not, (laughs) doesn't really know what it means, and the translation is going to be behind her on the screen, and you all are going to know what it means, okay? So we're going to try this out as a way to illustrate this truth. So Brandy, if you could just read this really simple Italian phrase, that would be great. Non lasierce ai cigani. Keanu, we hamburger. I got that one. Got hamburger. Ogie. Well done. Put it together. That's all I need from you. So here's what it actually says. Got the burger. Don't let the vegans cook the burger today. That's really what she was reading in Italian. Now, why did I make uh, Brandy come up and read that? It's a little bit funny, a little bit silly, but that kind of that experience that Brandy just encountered that we all got to watch in on because she's such a good sport. Like as we watch that, that's kind of like trying to obey God without the Holy Spirit. You can read it and maybe even piece together some things, but there's no real full understanding without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will do two things and they're pretty much the same. He's gonna teach you, he's gonna remind you, he's gonna help you understand what it means to obey and how to obey as a person following God. Now, I think it's important to say this, and we don't say this every weekend, but I I want you to hear this because it really does make a difference. I don't know if you figured this out. Maybe you know me super well, maybe you don't, but this doesn't matter. Here's the thing. I don't have all the answers. You may have hung out with me enough to know that that's blatantly clear. (laughs) I don't have all the answers. And the second part of that is I don't fully understand. I can't even fully empathize. I can't really fully even dissect the complexity of every situation and every struggle that you face today. I just can't. I am human, and yet I'm trying to follow Jesus just like you. And so the key then is what? It's the Holy Spirit. How would the Holy Spirit want to speak to you? How would he help you interpret scripture if you had a living, breathing, dynamic relationship with him? Because this 30 minutes every Sunday and my limited understanding of what all God has has in store for you is not enough. You need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit to really understand God's truth and God's will and how I can then obey those two things. And so as you look through the scriptures, you see it again and again. And for me, that's had great impact. Even when it comes to the Bible, I don't know about you, I grew up in the church. I understood kind of what it meant to read the Bible. I even had some tools at my disposal, and yet I never really understood it for myself until I began to seek and develop and pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It says in the scriptures that the Spirit will teach you and he will remind you. And I need that. Every time I approach the scriptures, every time I approach a difficult situation, I need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit for those situations. And so in the book of Acts, we see this kind of idea played around because the disciples, Jesus does end up leaving. He keeps his promise. He leaves and sends the Holy Spirit. And just a couple chapters after that, we read that Peter, one of the apostles, these disciples, is teaching people about what God has done and how he's going to move in the coming centuries and in this mission that Jesus has given them. But he talks about obedience almost as like a cyclical thing. Now, track with me for a second because he says that if you obey, you will experience the power of the Spirit. 
And the last 20 minutes, I've just made a case for if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you will obey. But they're the same thing. They both talk to us about. They will teach us and remind us that as we obey, we will develop a, a, a more awareness. We sung about that. Brendan taught us through that. More awareness of the Holy Spirit. But as we have more awareness and, and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, it'll be easier and easier to obey. See, obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. It doesn't just have to be something that's a duty or chore that comes with the goodness of following Jesus. It can be something that actually enhances that. And so if you are wondering, how would I do that? Like, how would I start that life of obedience? How would I experience the blessing of following Jesus and, and remove maybe some of the shackles that, that maybe I've picked up, whether from my own church tradition or, or bad teaching or just misunderstanding? How would I do those things? So it's really, really simple, and the scriptures point this out. And if you're taking notes, it won't be on the screen, but if you want to live this out, here's what you'll do. And this is true in my life as well, that the next time you can obey, do it. Is that simple enough? Like the next time you can obey, do it. The next time you can do the right thing, do it. The next time you can live with integrity in your business, do it. The next time you can fully show love and grace to your spouse, do it. The next time you can share your faith in boldness and with a little bit of fear mixed with courage, do it. The next time you can invite someone to what God is doing at our church, do it. The next time you can obey, do it. And we see Peter and these other apostles not nailing it perfectly, but trying their best to every single opportunity obey what God had given them. Again, that may mean having integrity at work, that maybe no one else models that, but for you, you know that's your next step to obey. Maybe it's for every time that we have the baptismal up here, you're like, oh, I know God wants me to do that. I'm not going to do that. Maybe your time is September 9th to say, I'm just going for it. I'm doing it. Maybe there's a coworker who you've kind of built a relationship with, but you know that they are far from God, and you're not sure where their eternity will end up if they die tomorrow. What's your next step? What do you need to do? The next time you can obey, do it. That may mean having sexual purity in a circle of influence that does not model that. That may mean changing entertainment choices or music choices so that you can more align yourself with what you know God wants for you. But the next time you can obey, just do it. Because obedience can be a blessing, not a burden. But if you never obey and never listen to the Holy Spirit and never develop that relationship, it will always be a chore to you. It will always be a burden. It will always feel more like a duty than something that you can delight in. But obedience can be a blessing not a burden. I want to close with this. And A.W. Tozer, who has written many books, but many of them have all had the same theme for me. It's challenged me. Um, and I don't know about you, if you've got authors like that that challenge your thinking, but he wrote this about obedience. And I feel like it's how we know really what's at stake if we don't follow him. It's altogether doubtful whether any man can be saved who comes to Christ for his help with no intention to obey him. Let me read that one more time. It's altogether doubtful whether any man can be saved who comes to Christ for his help with no intention to obey him. And if we fail to really experience obedience, if we fail to really follow through on our commitment to serve and, and be committed to Jesus himself, 
with no other agenda other than obedience has kind of become through this relationship with the Holy Spirit a blessing, not a burden. That is the result. But, friends, if we choose to live this out, if we choose to take what Jesus says seriously, if we choose to recognize that obedience every time we can, that we do obey and we know the blessing, our lives will be full, overflowing even, with blessing after blessing. It's what the scriptures promise. It's a life God has for you. It's a life that in John 10, 10, Jesus himself describes as life to the full, life overflowing, life abundant. That's the kind of life that's awaiting us. And that's really, if you dig down deep, that's the core of the gospel. Jesus didn't make you obey before he extended his life on the cross and gave himself up for you, did he? He gave himself away before he knew whether or not you would ever accept him. He gave himself away, and we sing this song, Reckless Love. He gave himself in a way that was reckless. That is to say, had no regard for his own agenda, but said, I love these people, these creations, these people who bear my image so much that I'm willing to give myself away so that zero people would, have, would not have the chance to experience life with me and to know eternity with me and to experience the blessing that comes from obedience. And so in that light, I want to pray for us. And I want to ask, because there's many of us who maybe come from different circumstances, different situations, even this morning, who maybe have wrestled with, man, I, I just don't experience my life being changed. I haven't encountered that moment with God or that season in the, in the life of my own spiritual walk of having real power and real transformation. And I know that there's some of us here who it would take one prayer to break that through in our lives. It would take one moment maybe to help us obey in that next opportunity. So I'm gonna invite you just to close your eyes and, and to bow your heads as a way to focus this morning. And even just in the quietness of this moment, I think about the person, and maybe this is you, who knows what the right thing is, and yet every time that the opportunity to come, every time that opportunity comes to do it, feels difficult. Feels much easier to go with the flow of what others are doing, and yet God's call to you today is to obey him, to serve him as a worthy king, as a worthy savior. I wonder today, just by throwing up your hands real quick, and it doesn't need to be long or, or belabored by any means, but just real quick saying, I, I just need help to obey. I know a lot, but my life doesn't have tangible evidence right now of a deep love and devotion for God. If that's you, just throw your hand up real quick. You don't need to be embarrassed. Just say, I just need help. Yeah. So God, I pray for those people who just identified, man, that is my next step. It's just to follow through on what I know is right. To when that next opportunity comes to obey, that you just give me the courage, give me your spirit to just say, let's do it. Let's obey here. Father, I pray for the person who today is maybe far from you, maybe even, dare I say, was close to you and has walked away. God, I pray that for that person, that their step of obedience towards you would just be to say, God, I need you. The situations in my life are too great, are too overwhelming to live it without you. And I pray that you would answer that prayer in a tangible way today. 
Lastly, Father, I just thank you for the person who this morning is walking in maturity with you, is aware of the areas that you're calling them to obey, and yet even through your word this morning, it highlights some areas in which they could go deeper. They could take another step. They could keep growing and keep maturing in their faith. And I pray that you just give them the courage to live that out, to follow through. And we love you. And we thank you for your grace on the cross that demonstrates that there's nothing we could do. There's no system of rules we could perfectly follow. There's no prerequisites of prior obedience to come to your throne, to come to your cross, to come to your own presence, but a desire. And so, Father, we pray that for those of us who do desire that, that you'd grant us your blessing and you'd show us who you are. You give us your spirit because we love you. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus, asking for your help and your spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite you to.